What is going on, everybody? You are listening to Markets Made Simple with a fake Tory. Today, we're going to be discussing inflation. We're going to dive in and dissect the primary inflation indices. We're going to discuss why inflation happens. We're going to discuss various trends that inflation brings onto stock and bond markets. We're going to discuss how to interpret those trends. And of course, we're going to mention various actionable items towards the end of the episode. So a lot to discuss today. Let's get into it. So let's begin with first defining what is inflation. So inflation is when prices of goods and services go up. Deflation is actually the opposite occurrence where prices of goods and services go down. And it's important to understand that inflation can actually be thought of in two ways. It can either be thought of as everything else is getting more expensive or the value of the currency in which you are purchasing these goods and services is decreasing in value. So those are two ways to interpret the same occurrence of inflation. Now, why does inflation happen? Why, if you look back decades, you will actually detect a consistent uptick in inflation year over year? So the theory why inflation happens in the first place is there's a phenomenon called corporate markup. And corporate markup is when corporations mark up their services that they're providing to the public. So think about a company which invests in all kinds of business inputs and then sells a finished product or service to the public. There has to be some sort of markup or profit that company needs to make. And when the economy is running hot, that markup is either exaggerated or it's done many times over. So think about when when an economy is doing very, very well, more businesses will most probably open up. And if more businesses are opening up, then the range of services and goods that is being offered to the public increases. Goods and services of one company can be input for another business. And the end consumer ends up paying all these markups on the final good or service. So in general, when an economy runs hot and financial conditions favor that running hot economy, you are prone to have more inflation. Another more simpler way to explain what I've just said is that if an economy is running hot and financial conditions allow consumers to demand more goods and services, then the prices of those goods and services will go up. That's a very mundane, basic way to understand the phenomenon of inflation. Another contributor to inflation has to do with foreign exchange. If you live in a country which imports many of its goods and services from, let's say, the United States, then the prices of the goods and services in local currency terms can go up if the US dollar strengthens. So for example, the USD ILS, the exchange rate between the US dollar and the Israeli shekel, used to be in the range of 3.1, 3.2 earlier this year. When the US dollar started to get stronger throughout the year, any good or service that we as Israelis would import from the United States would become more expensive, even if those same goods and services would not have appreciated in value in dollar terms simply because the foreign exchange has become less favorable for the Israeli shekel and more favorable for the US dollar, we now have inflation simply because of these foreign exchange movements. So now that we understand the major contributors to inflation, let's begin to speak about why is there especially high inflation today. We all remember the coronavirus pandemic and when it started back in and around March, February of 2020. And if you remember, the 
U.S. economy went on a stimulus campaign in the form of providing more liquidity or more money in simpler terms into the U.S. economy as well as debt forgiveness. Now these are two very different forms of economic stimulus but they have the same result. At the end of the day they are designed to pick the economy back up to support the economy from collapsing. There are many that argue that the stimulus campaign was over exaggerated but in hindsight everybody is smart. Looking back at the time there was true panic. We had a real crisis and the Federal Reserve focused alongside with the government to support the economy. So then you might ask yourself okay that's the Fed's and the US government's problem. Why is there inflation all around the world? Well the foreign exchange element of inflation and how it can impact any US dollar denominated good or service also contributed to the worldwide problem of inflation that we're seeing right now. Last but definitely not least the coronavirus didn't only affect the demand side that contributes to inflation but also the supply side. Supply drastically took a hit in the coronavirus pandemic simply because many factories shut down. The Ukraine war with Russia also didn't help the supply side of economics. So supply chain issues also drastically contributed to inflation that we're seeing today. So how do we measure inflation and what are the best methods to track the acceleration or deceleration of inflation? If you were to go into the Bureau of Labor Statistics website, you will see the major categories in which the BLS organizes specific categories that go into the CPI index. Those categories include food and beverages, housing, apparel, transportation, medical care, recreation, education, and communication. If you realize actually, real estate is not a primary category in this index. And I'm pretty sure that in all major inflation proxy indexes around the world, real estate is not included. The reason why, even though real estate is a cost of shelter, as far as consumers are concerned, real estate is an asset. When you buy a house, you maintain some equity in that home. You can resell it later on or sell a part of it to somebody else. Banks consider real estate property as collateral for loans, so it's considered financial security. One asset class which generally gets overlooked when deciding on future inflation expectations is crude and Brent oil. So crude and Brent oil are the raw materials which make up the gas that you put into your car. Therefore, crude and Brent can actually amplify prices of anything that is shipped, even clothing. If a retailer wants to import or order more clothes from a manufacturer, within that cost of shipping, there's going to be some element of gas. So the elevated gas prices that we're seeing right now is a consequence of the elevated crude and Brent oil prices, which are contributing heavily to inflation. Now, if you were to track the inflation report that came out last week, you would have seen another publication called Core CPI. Core CPI is the same as regular CPI, only that it excludes food and energy sectors. The reason why those two categories are excluded is because they are believed to be very, very volatile and don't paint a completely accurate picture when it comes to year-over-year -year or month-over-month -month inflation readings. Another index used to track inflation is called the PCE or Personal Consumption Expenditure. And just like the CPI, the PCE also has a core element which excludes certain energy and food categories. So now that we have all the tools to track inflation, now let's try to understand why is it important to understand where we are with inflation and deflation developments. So it is the Federal Reserve's mandate to, to promote price stability, which is inflation, and also minimal unemployment. Today we're going to focus on the price stability element of their mandate. Inflation happens when the economy runs hot, when there's a lot of cheap capital in the system, a lot of money is flowing around, there are many goods and services being exchanged for money, etc. So if you were to stop that, if you were to 
cool down that demand for goods and services, you can actually alleviate inflation pressures. Because then if you go ahead and raise interest rates, you will increase the cost of capital, you will make companies think twice before taking out new debt, because now the debt has become more expensive, more people will most probably be laid off because companies will shrink their operations, loans and mortgages offered to consumers will be more expensive, or in other words, the interest rate on those loans will be offered at a higher rate. All in all, the economy will be slowing down and demand will dampen. Now, this is not a perfect potion because essentially, if you cool down the economy, you can also, as a consequence, increase unemployment. And this is a big, big issue for the Fed because they have a dual mandate to promote minimal unemployment and also price stability. They always have to be toggling with their financial tools, and the primary one being interest rates. They always have to toggle with their financial tools to fulfill those two mandates, which are not very easy to achieve in coexistence with each other. Having low unemployment and low inflation is like the Federal Reserve's wet dream. So this is very important for investors because if the Federal Reserve is expected to react to inflationary pressures via interest rates, then we as investors need to be conscious of how markets will react to such changes. So an increase in interest rates is associated with a decline in stocks and bonds. This is exactly what we've seen throughout 2022. Actually, we've begun to see this trend unfold even before the Federal Reserve began its interest rate increases in and around March. And the reason for that is because of the forward-looking valuation methodology that the general market has when pricing stocks and bonds. Remember that if cost of capital increases, any future cash flow or any future dividend will be discounted heavier in present value terms. Therefore, even if a business is doing phenomenal through 2022, its stock price still will suffer in terms of valuation when considering the interest rate environment which is expected to prevail within the near to medium future. Not all companies suffered this year. Some companies actually did very, very well. We will get to which companies or which sectors rather those are further on into the episode. But in general, there's no way around it. I'm sure people listening in right now have suffered great drawdowns in terms of stock valuations simply because of the interest rate environment that has prevailed throughout this year. Now, many have argued that the Federal Reserve will not be as aggressive as anticipated earlier this year. And for some time, that narrative actually worked. In and around June, according to certain bond prices and yields which have prevailed throughout the Treasury market, you could see that the market was expecting the Fed to stop increasing rate hikes in and around this time back in June, which obviously they haven't stopped. So this just goes and shows you that even if the market is telling you something, it's not always correct in terms of how accurate that prediction may be. So this is why I always urge everybody to do their own research. Don't always believe or trust the market. It's not always the best route to go. So now that we understand a bit more about inflation, why it's important, how to track it, and what to consider when reading CPI readings, let's get into the most recent readings that happened last week and interpret them. So last week on Thursday, we had the latest CPI reading, and I will focus on the headline CPI reading, which is not the core CPI, but rather the entire CPI index. And we received a year-over-year print of 7.7%, as well as a month-over-month print of 0.4%. Right after that, we saw stock market and the bond market go up dramatically seconds after the CPI publication. And that might be a little bit confusing, right? Because how can the stock market like inflation? We just spoke right now about why the stock market and the bond market should be repellent or demand should decrease for assets paying in the future 
whenever there's high inflation because of the anticipation for the Federal Reserve to increase interest rates, therefore decreasing the present value of anything promised to us in the future by owning a stock or a bond. So what is going on here? So anytime you are analyzing stock prices and bond prices, which are currently traded in the market, you need to always be conscious of the expectations that are priced in currently into the market. What does that mean? If right now a stock or a bond is traded at a certain price, then the market, which is made up of many buyers and sellers, have agreed on a price which reflects their expectations about interest rate decisions in the future, as well as implied dividends, like we've discussed in the previous episode. So if expectations are planted into current prices right now, it's very important to interpret the prices of stocks and bonds in the face of what is being expected today into the future. Economic events or CPI readings or actually any report that comes out can change those expectations. Specifically, right before the year-over-year CPI reading was printed, the forecast was 8% and the month-over-month forecast or fancy word for expectation was 0.6%. The actual numbers came in significantly lower than expectation. So just to recap, the year-over-year expectation was 8% and the actual was 7.7% while the month-over-month CPI was 0.6% in terms of expectations and the actual print was 0.4%. Now we can begin to understand why stocks and bond markets actually like the CPI reading that came out because it has shifted their expectation on what the Federal Reserve will do in terms of interest rate pauses, hikes, or even complete pivots. Pivot is a fancy word for changing one's mind on something. Right now the Federal Reserve is an upward trajectory in terms of interest rate hikes and if it were to pivot then it would either stop rising interest rates or begin to slow the pace of the increase in interest rates. Both cases can be considered a Federal Reserve pivot. Now the reason why this print was extremely dramatic in terms of the market reaction that it's brought on is because this is the first time ever since the beginning of the year that inflation expectations were higher than the actual printings. If you look back on Investing.com's economic calendar, you can actually see previous expectations before CPI readings were advertised. And then you can also see the corresponding actual numbers that actually came out as per those publications. If you were to graph both CPI expectations and CPI actual printings on a chart, you will see that the most recent reading was the only one and actually the first one that had expectations above the actual printings. So this is extremely significant in terms of how the market will expect the Federal Reserve will go forward in their interest rate hiking campaign. So then the question becomes, how do we know what's currently priced into the market? Well, in order to understand that, you need to access what's called the Fed Rate Monitor, also in investing.com. It's underneath the tool section. And there you will receive a mapping out of expectations as per each and every FOMC. Again, what is the FOMC? The Federal Open Market Committee, the committee within the Federal Reserve that goes ahead and decides on interest rate decisions. Within the Fed Rate Monitor, you will see what is currently priced in in terms of expectations on what interest rate will prevail in the future. You will see corresponding probabilities for each interest rate range. Currently, the market is pricing in an 80% probability for the range to be 4.25 to 4.5 and a 20% probability for the interest rate range to be 4.5 to 4.75 as per the December 14th meeting, which means that there's a heavy expectation that the Federal Reserve will hike interest rates in their next December 14th meeting by 50 basis points rather than 75 basis points. These expectations before the CPI reading were about 50-50. So now you can understand 
understand how a large shift in expectations altered stock market and bond market fluctuation and pricing. So as you can see, inflation is less important than what the Federal Reserve will do in terms of interest rates as far as stock and bond valuations are concerned. Because nobody likes a 7.7 yearly inflation printing. But because expectations were above that amount, and those expectations were currently priced into the market, a 7.7 CPI reading all of a sudden seemed favorable for financial instruments, simply because of the shift of expectations. Now, we're still 80-20 on this 50 versus 75 basis point hike for December 14th meeting of the FOMC. So even when the actual interest rate decision will be announced on December 14th, expectations can shift from 80-20 to 100 versus zero, because right after the Federal Reserve announces their decided upon interest rate hike, then the probability of one of those options becomes 100%. There is no more speculation. And if one of those become 100%, then that interest rate range or the new interest rate range decided by the Federal Reserve will become the new interest rate which will be used to price present value of any future cash flow or dividends coming from stocks or bonds. In addition to stock and bond valuation fluctuation vis-a-vis -vis interest rate decision expectation fluctuation and CPI readings, it's also very important to pay attention to the foreign exchange market. If you've been looking at the US dollar throughout this year, you will see a tremendous increase in strength of the US dollar. Now, while a strong US dollar can affect many economies, we've discussed earlier in this episode how a strong dollar can actually promote inflation in highly importing countries, a high US dollar can also really harm institutions or countries which pay debt denominated in US dollars. One very important sector which is heavily affected by a strong or weak US dollar is called emerging markets. These are markets which cannot take debt in their own currency, but rather in a reserve currency, which is considered relatively safe. And emerging markets and any debt that they might have taken on in US dollar denominated instruments will automatically pay more since their currency is now devalued throughout this year against the US dollar. So a strong dollar or a weak dollar is extremely important in understanding how these emerging markets will prevail, grow, or even survive. So high interest rates or the anticipation of higher or lower interest rates also affects foreign exchange markets as well. And if you look at the general trend, you'll see that the US dollar has been gaining tremendous strength against all major currencies. And the reason why that is, is because the pace of interest rate increases is higher among the Federal Reserve when comparing to other economies, central banks. So if you have some foreign exchange risk and you'd like to have a better understanding of what to do in terms of any US dollars that you may be getting in the future or any US dollars that you may need to purchase in the future, interest rate expectations and where the market is currently pricing in these expectations into the future is crucial for your decisions. More so, when trying to create a consensus or a decision about where inflation is headed, it's really, really important to pay attention to the month-over-month -month CPI readings, simply because if you look only on a year-over-year -year basis, then the CPI reading from last year can actually mask the true increase or jump in CPI a year later. So trying to understand where inflation is headed is better done by analyzing the month-over-month -month CPI reading, because then you get a more recent and close tracking of CPI through month-over-month -month rather than year-over-year. -year. So considering both variables and metrics is extremely important when constructing an idea of where inflation is headed. So just a few more statistics before we get to the actionable part of this episode. The UK RPI, or the major United Kingdom Inflation Index, has just recently 
recently printed at a year-over-year -year change of 14.2%, with a month-over-month -month change of 2.5%. That is extremely high. Expectations were significantly lower than that. In Israel, we had year-over-year -year CPI inflation printed at 5.1%, with month-over-month -month CPI printing at 0.6%. Expectations were a little bit lower than that. And lastly, we had a PPI reading, which is the United States Producer Price Index. Essentially, what this is, is the change in price of goods sold by manufacturers. So it is also a leading proxy for inflation. We had that printed at 8%, down from expectations of 8.3%, with a monthly reading of 0.2%, with expectations standing right before at 0.4%. So across the producers and also across the consumers, we can see that indices which are designed to track prices within different stations of the supply chain are all showing a consistent picture. This is actually what helped boost markets a little bit more throughout the beginning of this week, as well as confirm investors' expectations that inflation is indeed cooling off and the Federal Reserve ought to slow down the pace of rate hikes. So we have discussed a lot today, but obviously it doesn't mean anything if we can't put our investment thesis into actions. So let's take a look at some trends which have prevailed this year and are expected to prevail also going into 2023. Let's get into it. So the most pronounced trend throughout 2022 is the fact that stocks went down. So what sort of stocks could we have invested in to profit from this movement? So there's an ETF out there called SH, which deploys the strategy of being short the S&P 500, or in simpler terms, meant to go up when the S&P goes down. That ETF is tickered SH. It's gone up pretty nicely throughout this year. If you were to map out the S&P 500 performance on SH in term and try to establish an inverse relationship, you won't see it perfectly. That's because an ETF involves other things other than simply buying the underlying index or shorting the underlying index, in this case, every single time. So every time you engage in what's called an inverse ETF, which is an ETF designed to be short a specific asset class or instrument, always be careful, read about the ETF. I will discuss ETFs in a later episode, but please be weary about the risks within investing in inverse ETFs. If you you were to invest in SQQQ, that is an ETF which deploys a strategy of being short the NASDAQ 100. So both of these ETFs did considerably well throughout 2022, but again, do not have a perfect inverse correlation when it comes to actually shorting those indexes. Another great trend that prevailed this year, which shocked a lot of people when I started to tell them about it, and in my opinion is more interesting, is the fact that banks actually had very good earnings this year, and their stock price didn't only exert that, but also their balance sheet and income statements showed that. And the reason why is because banks usually make more money above other companies when interest rates are rising. This is understandable from the interest rate mechanism that we explained in the first episode, that banks can deposit money at the Federal Reserve. Now, just to remind you, the Federal Reserve interest rate is quoted at a range, a range in which banks can deposit money in the Federal Reserve and also borrow. Currently, right now, the bank's offer rate 
is 3.75%. So banks can simply deposit what's called their reserves, or a fancy word, it would be bank reserves, in the Federal Reserve and make 3.75%. If they don't have any loans to lend out to consumers or mortgages or corporate debt, that will bring in at least 3.75% because that is their risk-free rate, then they'll simply put it at the bank and receive 3.75%. So banks are positioned very, very beneficially when interest rates are rising. And we can see this through the ETF ticker EQRR. EQRR is an ETF designed to deploy a strategy and aggregate all of the banks which would benefit from rising interest rates. And if you look at EQRR's share price from the beginning of the year, even excluding dividends, it's outperformed the market by far. The last trend that I'm going to discuss today is a trend on treasury bonds and specific ETFs which are designed to short treasury bonds. One of them is called TYO. Another one is called TMV. The major difference between these two ETFs is within the strategy in which bonds or which treasuries they decide to short. TYO focuses within the range of treasuries which are expiring in 7 to 10 years, while TMV focuses on treasuries which are expiring in 20 years or more. If you look at a chart between TYO and TMV, you'll see that TMV has outperformed TYO dramatically. And the reason why is something that we've discussed in terms of present value and the interest rate that goes into calculating present value. Anything that is promising you cash flows in the future, or in other words, a longer duration bond or a bond which has a longer maturity, its price today will be more interest rate sensitive than a bond which is expiring in seven to 10 years. If you want it to be long treasury bonds, then you can invest in the ETF tickered TYD for seven to 10 year treasuries, or you can invest in TMF, which focuses on longer dated treasuries. Just an additional disclaimer here that all of these ETFs that are designed to deploy a strategy being long or short their respective underlying bonds, they are leveraged three times. So when you see a movement in the bond market, you will see a 300% corresponding movement on that respective ETF. There's an extremely fancy term in finance called duration, and duration actually gives you the average time for the cash flows. So the higher duration, the more interest rate sensitive that asset will be. This can also be generalized to value and growth stocks. Growth stocks by nature have a higher duration because their cash flows are expected to come in further in the future. That's why you're seeing this year that growth stocks did much, much more poorly than value stocks. Value stocks have a shorter duration compared with growth stocks. Now again, guys, this is a very overgeneralization and oversimplification of stock and bond valuations. Do not invest solely dependent on what you've heard on this episode. There are many other variables that go into stock and bond valuations. So please do your due diligence, do your homework, and do thorough research before you decide to invest in anything. It's extremely important to be aware of what instruments or what stocks or ETFs you have to, to express your thesis on whether you think treasuries will go up or go down, especially in the light of a very specific statistic called the real Fed fund rate. What the real Fed fund rate is, is the current Fed fund rate, which currently is at 4%, minus the most recently printed inflation, which is 7.7%. So currently, the real Fed fund rate is 4 minus 7.7%, which is negative 3.7%. An interesting fact about the real Fed funds is that throughout history, the Fed has never pivoted or had never stopped increasing interest rates until the real Fed fund rate was positive. So history suggests that the Fed will continue to hike interest rates up until the real Fed funds rate will be zero or positive. With that being said, I want to thank all you guys for listening today. Inflation 
information. Readings come out every month, so keep track on them. Understand, be conscious of what we discussed in today's episode, and see you guys next time.